Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's our 753rd day together in the Word of God, and we are in Isaiah 57. We're back to Isaiah for a couple of days. Wonderful book. We're quickly coming to the end of it, but this there's a lot of good, meaty chapters that really focus on the application of gospel redemption to life. And so it's very practical and very challenging to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> thank you so much for the gift of life that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would take your word and write it on our hearts, that you would transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to live as becomes redeemed children of God, followers of Christ, those who walk worthy of the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Isaiah 57. The righteous man perishes, and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away, while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. But you, draw near, sons of the sorceress, offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman. Whom are you mocking? Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of transgression, the offspring of deceit? You who burn with lust among the oaks, under every green tree, who slaughter your children in the valleys, under the clefts of the rocks, among the smooth stones of the valley is your portion. They, they are your lot, to whom you have poured out a drink offering, you have brought a grain offering. Shall I relent for these things? On a high and lofty mountain you have set your bed, and there you went up to offer sacrifice. Behind the door and the doorpost you have set up your memorial. For deserting me you have uncovered your bed, you have gone up to it, you have made it wide, and you have made a covenant for yourself with them. You have loved their bed, you have looked on nakedness. You journeyed to the king with oil and multiplied your perfumes. You sent your envoys far off and sent down even to Sheol. You were wearied with the length of your way, but you did not say it is hopeless. You found new life for your strength, and so you were not faint. Whom did you dread? And fear, so that you lied and did not remember me, did not lay it to heart. Have I not held my peace even for a long time, and you do not fear me? I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them all off. A breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the Lord who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever 
nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me, and the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him, I hid my face, and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, for its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace says my God, for the wicked. That is Isaiah 57, which is largely just a stinging rebuke of hypocrisy, idolatry, um, double-heartedness. And then with a stunning conclusion. So the people of God are increasingly apostate. They are increasingly idolatrous. To to the point where a a righteous man dies, perishes. Um, There's there's fewer and fewer really righteous people in the land, and, and no one lays it to heart. Devout men taken away, no one understands. Now, these righteous men, they're they're going away from calamity, they're entering into peace, they rest in their beds who walk in uprightness. They are the ones who are, they're being taken into the presence of God. They're being given their eternal rest. But the land is so darkened by idolatry, by unfaithfulness, that they're not even realizing what they're losing with the passing of these righteous men. They're they're losing salt and light. They're losing a righteous witness. So that's happening. And then God summons this wicked group, the sons of the sorcerers, offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman. These people are pagan. They are idol worshipers. They are professing the name of the Lord, calling themselves by the name of God, identifying with the covenant people of God, but they are chasing after idols, sorcery, witchcraft, the, the offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman here is, I think, spiritual adultery, that they are committing spiritual adultery by worshiping these idols. And they are not ashamed of it. They're not hiding it. They're not humbled by it. They're just mocking and jeering and opening their mouth wide and sticking out their tongue because they don't care. God calls them children of transgression, the offspring of deceit, you who burn with lust among the oaks, under every green tree, who slaughter your children in the valleys, under the clefts of the rocks. So one of the things we have to understand, we talk about paganism and idolatry, and I don't think we have a good understanding of how exactly horrible this practice was in ancient Israel. There was often cult prostitution. We get a little picture of this when Judah sleeps with Tamar, when he's on the way uh, to to um, to sell his sheep, and he he sleeps with her, she's dressed as a cult prostitute. So the idea is under a tree. Trees are 
pictures of pagan fertility. Um, you would see a cult prostitute and you would go and you would sleep with that prostitute and you would pay her money in worship of the goddess. Asherah was the most common fertility goddess of Canaan. And that was supposed to bless your family, bless your crops. Of course, some people just did it because it was a way to engage in prostitution, you know, commit adultery. But then also it gets worse because on the high hills, on the high green hills, there are pagan high places. The idea is that the, the closer you are to heaven, the better your offering will be up to God. And they were slaughtering their children. Archaeologists have uncovered some of these pagan high places in Israel, and they found the bodies of dead children stuffed into clay jars and buried in the ground. So they would offer the sacrifice of their child, and then they would put the child into a clay jar and bury it in the ground as a memorial to that false god. It's horrible. It's disgusting. Sexual immorality, child sacrifice. We say that, and yet we have something very common today, even among professing Christians. And that is our world doesn't believe in sort of garden variety paganism of old with Asherah and Baal and those kinds of gods and goddesses. Instead, what we believe is in autonomy, especially sexual autonomy. In other words, self-rule, I'm going to be a law unto myself. I'm going to please myself. And so we engage in sexual immorality from a young age with whoever we want to, and we think it's our right. Well, then what happens is people get pregnant. Women get pregnant because of that. And they're not ready to have children because they didn't think, oh, if I'm having sex with somebody, I might get pregnant and I might have a child. That, that wasn't entering their thought. They were just thinking, I'm having a good time. I'm doing what I want. I'm having fun. I'm indulging my pleasure. And so they get pregnant and they have an abortion. Did you know that a substantial number of abortions in America every year are gotten by professing Christian pro-life women? That's right. Not all of them, but a, a substantial percentage of abortions every year in America are gotten by professing Christian pro-life women. Why would they do that? Why would they kill their children? They know they're killing their children because they were indulging in this idolatrous worship that is this sexual autonomy, supposed freedom that's really slavery. So we can look back on ancient paganism and say, oh, how disgusting that was. But we can look around in our own culture and say how disgusting this is. And don't even get me started on how many young evangelical men or actually evangelical men of all ages are hooked on pornography and it's ruined their lives and it's ruined their marriages and passing on a legacy of, of sin and slavery addiction to the next generation. So this is not something foreign to us. This is not something foreign to us. And you might have some other idol. You might be so addicted to politics that when God says, love your neighbor as yourself, you think, well, my neighbor is of the other political persuasion and they're evil and they're trying to ruin the country. And why would I love them? They're the problem. That's not loving your neighbor as yourself, right? That's not being salt and light. That's not being an ambassador for Christ. So 
this this idolatry is not something foreign to us. We need to hear this as being a call for us to repent. So that's what a lot of these things are about is this idolatry. Among the smooth stones of the valley is your portion. They are your lot. The smooth stones are objects of pagan worship. Okay, On a high and lofty mountain you have set your bed and there you go up to offer sacrifice. It's spiritual adultery to offer sacrifice to a god other than Yahweh, the one true God, especially to offer up your children who are really God's children, the covenant children. Behind the door and the doorpost, you've set up your memorial for deserting me. You've uncovered your bed. You've gone up to it. You've made it wide, etc., etc., etc. And yet, well, for all of this, has it worked? Has it worked? Look around you in America today and ask yourself, has the sexual revolution, abortion on demand, fluid sexuality, the pursuit of the American dream, political extremism, has any of it worked to make anybody's life better? No. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. But you didn't say it's hopeless. You found new life for your strength, and so you were faint. So you were not faint. In other words, people will keep giving themselves to their idolatry, even though it's not working. All right. So God is inviting them to repent. God is saying, you need to repent. Verse 12 says, I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them off. A breath will take them away. But, here's the call to repentance. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. So God's looking at all these pagan, idolatrous, spiritually adulterous, disobedient, rebellious children. He's saying, if any of you, if any of you, will turn your backs on your idols and take refuge in me. You will possess the land. You will inherit my holy mountain. And then it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstacle from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. God expects us to confess our sin and our need and in humility turn to him and find refuge in him and realize that our idolatry is worthless and wicked and needs to be repented of. And for those, God says, I will not contend forever, nor will I be angry. Spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I made, but because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face. I was angry, but he went on backsliding. But I have seen his ways, and I will heal him. Look at that. This, from, from verse 17 to 18 is something that makes no sense from a human perspective, but it is the gospel of the grace of God. He went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. The next verse should read, And so I destroyed him from off the face of the earth. But no, he says, I've seen his ways and I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips, peace, peace 
to the far and to the near. Ephesians 2 quotes this last line as saying that the gospel goes out to unfaithful, idolatrous people in the pagan lands, those who are far, and in Israel, those who are near. Both Gentiles and Jews are given this invitation, I will heal him. But not for those who continue willfully in wickedness, not for those who continue to pursue idolatry. There is no peace for the wicked. God is gracious. God is gracious enough to forgive us after years of idolatry, after years of unfaithfulness, if we simply turn and seek refuge in him, if we simply cry out to him. So gracious. Will we turn? Believer, unbeliever, whoever you are, wherever you are in your life, we all have idols in our heart that we need to repent of. We all have things in our life that we need to turn our back on. Will we seek the Lord in humility and contrition, the humble and contrite of heart, and will we find refuge in him so that he will give us peace and healing? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is wonderful beyond description that you would be so gracious to people who simply do not deserve it. But your grace is not measured by how much we deserve. Your grace is measured by how much you love. And that is good news. That is the good news. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that is Isaiah 57. Tomorrow, we'll go on to Isaiah 58. I hope you have a blessed day in the Lord. Mm -hmm.